Welcome to On the Other Side, where we talk crypto, culture, and society, and how crypto might shape society and change how real humans live their actual lives. Every week, we have on cool people from the crypto world to talk about what they're building and what the implications of that might be for real human beings. I am here with Jackson Dame from Rainbow. Jackson is one of my favorite people, not only on Twitter, but I think in the space. So I'm super excited to have you on. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Chase. Ever since we met, I think it was a month or two ago on Twitter, I've just loved following along with the work you're doing in the space. And when I saw this podcast, it immediately was up my alley and just so excited to be a part of it. I love it. Yes, we don't talk about the people aspect of these things enough. So I'm very excited to do that. Before we get into all that, do you want to give a little bit of background on you and what you're doing at Rainbow, but also like how you felt on the crypto rabbit hole? Yeah, totally. So I I work at Rainbow doing a variety of different things, but I I actually am relatively new to the space overall. I've I've probably only been here maybe, I don't know, nine or 10 months, probably. I stayed away from the crypto sphere for quite some time. A combination of like it being super technical, I'm not a developer, I'm much more kind of a, a normal person or a normie. I feel like I just didn't know anyone that was in the space either. None of my friends were into it, really. I live in South Carolina, which if you go online and look up the data, like South Carolina is one of the, the least interested states in cryptocurrencies. So no one around me in my geographical region, at least that I know, is personally interested in crypto. So I find all of my crypto friends and people on Twitter and on Discord and stuff. But I got into it, though, maybe you know nine or 12 months ago, I started just paying a lot more closer attention. I started reading lots of things, doing a lot of research, watching YouTube videos and And then I stumbled upon Rainbow, which happened to be my first Ethereum experience, my first Ethereum wallet, and which is strange because I feel like most of the people I've met in this space, their first Ethereum wallet was MetaMask because that's what people have used for so many years. But my first experience was with Rainbow and it made me feel a lot more like this was for me and it was something that I could do and understand. It was really relatable feeling and not super techie feeling. And so from there, I just started doing different things in the ecosystem and falling down that hole of just trying one Web3 service or, or DAP or whatever. And and then that one would lead me to another one. And then that one would lead me to another one. And then I kept meeting new people on Twitter. And, and eventually I I was leaving a traditional tech job because it just wasn't really fulfilling me anymore. And I didn't quit that job expecting to get into crypto or Web3, but I had met enough people on Twitter that I just was like, you know what, I I don't really know what I want to do next career-wise, so I'm just going to tweet out that I might be interested in in getting into the Ethereum ecosystem. So that's all I did. And it got shared so much that like I got a whole bunch of interviews and multiple job offers and during that process, I reached out to Rainbow because a few of them knew me from Twitter and knew how much of a fan I was and how much I used their product. And I just let them know that I could see myself working there because I love it so much. And I feel like a lot of my skills are the kind of things that they're needing and a lot of crypto companies are needing right now. And I guess it happened at the right time and they brought me on board. And and now, of course, now I've gone even deeper into the to the rabbit hole. Yes, that's the way to do it. I mean, that's like a beautiful, yeah. a beautiful story into it. You yeah, slowly it find fun. yourself more immersed in Web3 and you're like, the rest of the world seems so different now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, uh, I ended up choosing like, all the different companies I was interviewing with. One of the reasons I ended up choosing a wallet company was 
just because wallets are like the gateway into pretty much everything in this ecosystem. And I wanted to be involved in helping lots more people get into the space. And so yeah, that's why I really felt extremely excited to join Rainbow because I really think that we're going to be able to be one of those companies that helps bring in a lot of people that might not otherwise feel like this space is for them. Yeah, 100%. And that's something that I've always been passionate about is like accessibility in the space. It definitely feels like as an outsider, it is so scary to go into <laughs> crypto. It's not yes. the most welcoming. But I, I think that part of that too, is that a lot of the interesting experiments that have gone on in the space for so long have been around DeFi and all these things, which are awesome and unlock so much value. But I think now we're finally starting to see with NFTs and some of the other pieces, a lot more of this human element and this like yes. emotional aspect, mm -hmm. which is what I loved. You had a piece about moon cats and your like journey into crypto. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about that and what moon cats did for you? Yeah, totally. I feel like that happened back in March. And so that was, you know, shortly after I got into Ethereum and got started with Rainbow, I had never interacted with an Ethereum contract directly before. It was always through dApps and things like that. But I was on Twitter one day and I saw someone tweet about this old NFT project that was suddenly rediscovered called Mooncat Rescue. And I clicked on the links and read through it. And it looked all very fun and interesting and something that I would typically enjoy, even if it wasn't crypto related. But because it was such an old project, their website really wasn't functioning anymore. So you couldn't like I couldn't connect my rainbow wallet to it directly. And so I did some sleuthing and Googling and trying to figure out how I could interact with the smart contract directly. And I finally, you know, learned how to get onto Etherscan. I think that was the, I think that was like the first time I ever, ever went onto Etherscan. And the first time I connected my wallet to it, I played this little Mooncat NFT game and, and rescued some cats. And those were some of my first NFTs also. And so it kind of got me addicted to the concept of them. It made the whole like NFT thing really click for me. I got involved with the Mooncat community, like a Discord server spun up around it, got really involved there, met a lot of great people. I'm one of the admins of the, the community now. And yeah, that whole experience of Mooncat Rescue really taught me the potential that like NFTs and communities around NFTs can have. Yeah. Do you feel like it was this love and community around the cats that did it? Like I want to dive into this human aspect, you know, because I feel like that's some of what crypto is lacking. But I want to like, what was your feeling and experience? Totally. I think some of it was the element of in order to actually do anything with it back in March, it was kind of a puzzle element. It was a game. So there was some gamification to it. So it was fun. Like a lot of the things that I had been seeing in the crypto space, they weren't that fun. Like it was a bunch of financial protocols and automations and, and stuff like that. And and while that stuff is really interesting and all well and good, it, it's not something that I typically find a lot of like joy from, but getting onto this site where you had these digital cats with fun little pixelated graphics, it reminded me of the Neopets days or like all these days I used to play video games and things as a kid. And so that kind of took me back. There was definitely some nostalgia to it. But then some of it was just also just, it was just really cute too. One of the reasons I like Rainbow is it's, it's kind of a cute app. When you compare it to a lot of the other wallet apps that are out there, it's it's it just feels different. It looks different. It feels different. And 
when I'm looking for apps or products or things, like I want something that's, you know, fun and cute and makes me feel good. And that's what those things did. And I don't think that there's, you know, enough of that in the space. I feel like the aesthetic and vibe that a lot of the things give off appeals to a certain crowd, which is great. But I think now that we're seeing lots more people come into the space, it's really cool to see just more diversity in terms of what things look like, who they're catered towards. And I think that's probably how we're going to make this whole thing keep moving forward is by doing more of that. 100%. Yeah, we definitely don't create enough experiences that are centered around those ideas of like, people just want to have fun and own (laughs) cute cats. Like they don't, there are a lot of interesting elements like you're talking about of DeFi and all of these things, but, but we definitely don't create those experiences enough. And I'm curious, I know you're talking about handling some of the user side at Rainbow. What are you seeing those experiences into crypto look like? Are people, I don't know if you get a sense for this, but are people more from the DeFi side or the NFT side or like what's bringing them in and what are they excited about? Yeah, I feel like it comes in waves, honestly. Like, you know, I've only been there, I think, two or three months so far. And during that time, like if every month there's been a different theme. In March, obviously, it was all about NFTs because that was the month that that sort of went mainstream and people in like traditional news outlets were actually talking about it. And so there's a lot of new people coming in specifically for that. And then I feel like it was... I think it was probably April and May, there was a lot of people coming in for all these like meme tokens and coins because Doge was really rallying and there was lots of talk about all these meme stocks and memes in general were just really hot. And so you had lots of people coming in because they heard about all these different dog tokens and things. And it's interesting because like I... You know, a lot of, there's like multiple elements to that. There's the people wanting to get rich quick, but there also is that element of, to some degree, like that dog token phenomenon, but for all its goods and bads, like there was definitely like an element of that, that like people were just having fun in a sense. Like it was, it was definitely not very serious and it definitely caused a lot of trouble sometimes, but it would be interesting to do a sort of a, where are they now? Like of all the people that came in through that meme token era, like, where are they now? Like, I wonder if they're still still around doing things. And But then I think more recently, the NFT thing is still a really big component of it. One of the reasons is like Rainbow has a big focus on NFTs and we try to make the NFT experience really enjoyable. And so a lot of people come to us for that. And the art side of things is bringing in a lot of people that I don't think otherwise would have ever touched crypto because they're not interested in like the financial side of it, really. They're interested in making artwork that for the first time ever, you can like, you can make digitally scarce, which isn't impossible. And, you know, I'm, I'm an artist as well. And for the longest time, I never touched digital art really, or at least not in any super serious sense, just because it was so hard to actually monetize it or sell it or do anything with it. And so, I don't know, I I think we're definitely seeing like a totally new crowd coming in because of NFTs. And I think that's part of what has helped diversifying the space. Yeah, totally. That makes a lot of sense. The idea of like, where are they now is so interesting to me. And I would literally die for that data because (laughs) something that I've noticed and I really want to hear your take on this, because I feel like you've, it seems like you've probably done the same. 
So there's like, when you first get into crypto, trying it out, it's kind of intimidating, but then you start to get a hang of it. But the deeper down the rabbit hole you go and the more crypto native you become, the more you're like, whoa, there's a lot of cool <laughs> shit that you can do. Yeah. This is amazing. I, I want to hear your perspective of going into something like crypto, exploring moon caps. Do you think there's a way to bring people in and start having them become crypto native like even mirror is something yeah, that's totally yeah. for more crypto native people but i feel mm -hmm. like if people coming in even if they're coming in through the nft sort of angle that's maybe a little yeah. more mainstream i don't know i i'm curious if you have thoughts on how to get people there or even on your own like journey yeah. towards becoming more crypto native yeah totally i mean i yeah, the thing I always go back to a lot of the times when I'm thinking about this is all the different times that I've tried to introduce friends and family to the crypto space myself by having them either download Rainbow or sending them articles or things. And the thing that I've always noticed usually happens when I do share those things or someone downloads a wallet for the first time and I'm standing there with them is they get it downloaded. Maybe I send them their first NFT and some of my token because I usually do that for people when I walk them through it. But they get all that stuff and they might think it's interesting. But I've had people multiple times say, okay, cool. What now? Like what do I, what what's what's the point of this now? And I think for people that are interested in like investing in stocks and stuff like that, those folks, I think they understand the what's next part because they'll often understand OD5 and I can go on to these decentralized exchange and, you know, potentially make money from trading cryptocurrencies, but everyone else who's not like, that's not their thing. They're often just wondering, okay, what is next? And, and the thing I think is going to be a big part of moving people forward is they have to see a tangible utility in their day-to-day -day lives. And unfortunately there's not a, a whole lot of that at this point. Like we're starting to see more, we're starting to th see more things where you can like just sign on with your wallet and eliminate some passwords and things like that. I think that's going to be a helpful element of it. But I think what's really going to bring in a lot of people is honestly probably things that are related to the social aspect of the internet. I think because social media is just such a big part of everyone's lives, I know that at Rainbow we're thinking a lot about how to lean even heavier into the social sort of sphere of things because money is social but so are a lot of these other things that we do and i think that kind of back, i liken it back to like when when facebook first came out and because not everyone was on it there's this question of like okay why should i join it if no one's over there and and so i think it's going to take a little bit of time at first if people starting like they'll join and maybe they won't get full on into crypto but they'll have a wallet and and then new services will start popping up one by one and they'll be able to sign in with things like as much as this might not be up my alley, but we're starting to see all these sort of marketing campaigns around movies and traditional mainstream things doing NFT drops. And I do think that some of that will get people into it and interested in it. But I definitely think it's going to start with the younger generations and seeing how the people that played Fortnite are going to naturally and immediately easily connect with the idea of having digital items inside of a wallet. It's just going to be second nature to them. So I think as soon as we remove a lot of the barriers of how expensive the fees can be, and we start adding in a lot of like actual utility and fun beyond just finance, then I think those things are going to be really key to it. Yeah. 
Totally. It's interesting too, because when I think about the social layer, I'm thinking about social tokens. I don't know that that will be like the first introduction, but I do think it's going to be interesting to see where it goes. And I also have to ask, what was the story behind creating Dame? So for <laughs> yeah. people who don't know, Jackson has a social token. I would I call do. it that, maybe. I don't know if, yeah, that's, no, if totally. you would officially classify it as that, but I want to know what the story is behind that. Yeah. I mean, honestly, that was actually one of the early things that I did when I first got into crypto. I got the Rainbow Wallet. I minted my first NFT. I started doing some of those initial things. I was also in some group chats that were related to the NFT space. And I met this guy named Jonathan in one of them. And during that period, he was just learning how to do some Solidity stuff and doing some smart contract work. He was just going through some courses, learning how to do all that stuff. And he was just learning how to, to make ERC-20 tokens and things like that. And I had heard of this concept of a social token and... I don't really know why it clicked with me, but I instantly understood why it was interesting. And I immediately was like, oh, I would love to have my own social token just because I didn't even know initially what I wanted to do with it. But I knew that it had the potential for interesting uses. And so I wanted to just go ahead and create one so that I would have it so that when I thought of interesting things to do with it, you would just already be ready to go. So anyway, so my friend Jonathan, he graciously, as his first ERC-20 project, he made my token for me. And That's such um, a cool first project. Yeah, it was really cool. Like, you know, I'm not a developer or anything like that. So I did not know how to do it on my own. And I, you know, I looked at some of these outside services to set up your own social token. But at the end of the day, I decided to have someone I knew to make it for me just because it would give me total access to all the tokens. It would just allow for like more flexibility and things like that. But I think I've always, I've been a part of a lot of online communities and fandoms or organizations where if you put in time and effort and you contribute things and you help people, it's like hard to reward people for things because like they do things really casually and is forgotten. I know that if I'm going to get anywhere in my career or in life, it's going to be through the help of lots and lots of people. I can't do it on my own. I can't just pull myself up by my bootstraps. It's very much going to be relied upon a community and a large group of other people. And I wanted to think about ways that I could start to build a record of who was being helpful to me, who was doing things that helped me get to the next level or take the next step. Initially, like it's just a souvenir, but like in the longer term, it starts to open up a lot of more interesting possibilities. I've only been in the space for what, nine or 10 months, but I think I, I've given the token out to about 150 different people now. You know, if several years down the road, as my career keeps advancing, I do want to keep doing things that will say thank you to all the people that have helped me over the, the months and the years. And I think that a social token does provide a really interesting way of doing that because I can easily, six months, 12 months from now, like I could easily make some cool NFT thing or whatnot and set it up so that all the people that have my token in their wallet, they can go and get this NFT for free. Like they don't have to do anything, but go to my site that I set for them. Maybe one day I do sell one of my NFTs for a lot of money and I decide I want to funnel back some of that money to all the people that helped me. So that's, I don't know, there's just lots of interesting ways that I think 
that can help solve some of the problems that like the traditional finance world creates in the sense of when people do succeed and they get rewarded and compensated for that. A lot of times, a lot of the people in their lives that maybe had some sort of a, had some sort of an impact, they don't, it's harder to reward those people too. And I want to make sure that like they don't get overlooked in that process. Yeah, that's a really cool idea. Everyone who has ever um, helped you or even like who you have wanted to in any way bring into the space, even like when you're talking about sending friends or family, or, yeah. that's super cool. Because it creates yes. more than anything, it creates like a network of interesting people. Yeah, no, it does. I I think like I, one of the one of the things I love about NFTs is is how I can I can meet new people through nfts in the sense of i i regularly see people who who collect some of the same nfts that i do and when i see that like it's it to some degree it's like a social signal that tells me okay that person has a similar taste to me to some degree so maybe so maybe that person and i would get along well because we we share this thing in common and a lot of the times that turns out to be true and and so even as we're thinking at rainbow about more like the social graph and the social side of things wondering how can how can we how can how can wallets facilitate and help can help connect people I and mean, really and truly like i think that there's some degree that like the future of social networking is less about the people is less strictly about just the people that we we know in real life or we know already and it's more about like discovery and meeting lots of new people and i think because the blockchain has all this unique data on it about people's usage and things that they like it can serve as this natural like way to connect people based on similarities so i don't know i think there's lots of interesting potential there i would love if someone built like a fake not even intentionally, but like a fake dating app or something exclusively based on your on-chain history, almost like a gag app where it's just like funny. I've I've often thought of like, like what, I don't know, the whole, the whole premise of a a crypto dating app is, I don't know, I think there is something to that. Like there's an app that I follow called Monet. That's a dating app. I've seen that. For Gen Z and you have to draw, you can't message people initially. You have to like draw something for the other person. So I don't know, like you could do that with NFTs. You could, I don't know, there's so many interesting things that you could potentially do with that, that I don't know. There's, I love that idea. I think it's interesting. One of six episodes recorded now and decentralized Tinder has come up twice, which has to <laughs> mean something. I hope so. Honestly, I would love that to be the case. Yeah, um, yeah. No, this idea of like on-chain social representations is really interesting and kind of reminds me in some ways of what you're doing with self. First of all, I love that you called it an art project experiment. I think it's such an interesting way to frame it. But yeah, will you give a little bit of backstory on the thought behind that and and what you're you're doing with that project? Yeah, yeah. So some of the backstory behind it is that I've been making like abstract and conceptual art just as a hobby or in my free time for many years now. And I've always been deeply interested in consciousness and psychology and how people have these constructs in our minds of other people and ourselves. And as I started getting into crypto over the past, you know, 12 months, I started noticing that because there was all this data on chain about 
people that there was a potentially an interesting way to use that data or just use the sheer fact that you can easily connect yourself with someone on chain via transaction. I thought it would be interesting to use the blockchain as part of a medium for seeing like one on a conceptual level, thinking more about how identity works on the blockchain, because currently like one person could have multiple wallets, which is good and is really interesting too, because I do think that we as individuals, we have multiple selves. I don't really believe that we have one self. I mean, I think we have many selves that manifest themselves in lots of different contexts and we change between them. And just because I'm, just because I act one way in, you know, my relationship with my partner doesn't necessarily mean that because I don't act that way on Twitter, that I'm somehow being fake on Twitter. It's just like a different version or sort of element of myself. And, and so I think as I was thinking about all these different things, I also love the social aspect of the cryptocurrency space. I love meeting new people. I love connecting with new people. I love NFT projects that have made me new friends. Like I've made so many new friends that way. And to your point at the beginning of our conversation about how can we humanize all this stuff more and remind us all about the human element of it. I just wanted to make a project that wasn't about the financial part of it, wasn't about any of that stuff. It was purely about how can we use the blockchain to like directly connect with other people and consciously be thinking about how we relate to one another. So that's still a little bit vague and woo-woo, but on the technical side of things, like this art project is, I'm, I'm going to be taking... Of all the, I think, I think 70 or so people became involved in it through the mirror crowdfund that I did for it. And I'm taking basically all the on-chain data that I can get from all the 70 of these different people. And I'm going to be using that and cross-referencing a lot of those things and seeing the natural social graph that sort of emerges from all 70 of those people and seeing the different ways they have interacted with me on the blockchain, if at all, and taking a lot of those different things into account as I take my background as like an abstract painter and artist, and then create like unique digital paintings or artworks for each of these people based on inspired by a lot of the on-chain data that I find. So like, there are some crypto projects out there that, that take on-chain data. Like I think of crypto trunks, they take a lot of your on-chain data to sort of like show you your environmental impact on the world using that. And it's done in a very automated way. And there's lots of those projects that sort of do on-chain data automation type stuff. And this one is a bit more like organic in the sense that what I'm going to be doing with it is not automated. It's very much like I'm going to be downloading all of this data myself and manually looking through it and analyzing it as a human being and, and coming to conclusions and interpreting it in some ways. It's not going to be just a machine doing the making and interpreting. It's going to be me actually doing it. And so, yeah, it, it, in some way, the reason I call it as an, an experiment is because, you know, a lot of people have NFT drops or art things that they do that are super well planned out and they know what the final outcome is going to be. But for this project, I didn't really know what the final outcome was going to be. I didn't even know if anyone was going to be interested in it. Like when I, when I launched the, the crowdfund on Mirror, 
I, you know, I set it to basically being the lowest amount of money possible that someone could contribute to it so that as many people could access it as to who wanted to access it. And I thought maybe I might get five or six people that might be interested in it. And that was going to be like enough for me to have fun with as an experiment and continue to exercise my NFT prowess. So it's very much like a hand done, hand curated project, which is, I don't know, it's fun for me. And in the sense that just so much of the blockchain world is very automated. Yeah. So I saw it and I was like, oh my God, I love this. There were sort of two things. The first is this notion that you're talking about of identity being so many different things in so many different contexts, I think is something that resonated with me, but is so true and very hard to experiment with, I guess, like yeah. in, in this world for some of the reasons that you're talking about, which is that everything is automated. And so it almost takes a human being interpreting and processing and thinking about these things to really do justice to what it means to be a human being yeah. in general and what the, what that means as an identity, but also the ability to just follow along with you on it. You know, it was kind of clear in the post, you were like, if anyone even does this, then this is what this <laughs> is. So it was obvious that you were very much experimenting and didn't really know, but it was so cool to see that it resonated with so many people. Yeah. I don't know. I think one of the things that I've tried to keep alive within myself, people often say that time in the crypto space goes by extremely quickly and a month feels almost like a year. And so me having been in here now, maybe 10 months or so, I've already noticed that like, if I'm not careful, I lose that beginner's mindset. And I think that like, that's one of the reasons why, because I had that beginner's mindset, I think it helped me in a lot of ways early on. And I'm trying to do things that will continually keep myself in that mindset. And so I think doing an experiment and do something that sort of gets me out of my comfort zone. And it's about that practice of constantly doing new things that I don't ever feel really extremely comfortable. And when you don't have a beginner's mindset and you aren't thinking about things through that lens, it's very easy to start becoming exclusionary. And I think that's one of the things that has happened to a lot of people in the crypto space is they've been in it a long time. They've been around, they've been through a lot of shit and I don't really blame them, but there's a sort of natural human tendency to just view everyone else as normies. They haven't seen what I've seen and they don't know all these protocols and how to do X, Y, and Z. And, and so there's this tendency to like other people and I think it's a lot harder to accidentally fall into that sort of natural human tendency to other people if you're constantly going to like the margins and pushing your boundaries even further. And so that's something that not just in the crypto space, but just in my life in general, I try to continue to do just so I don't get apathetic about things. I love that. And I think that's so true, which sort of brings us to a Twitter thread that you had very recently about an NFT platform that, and this is not unusual, so it's not even like specifically a challenge with this NFT drop. Um, right. But basically this NFT drop was only available to certain addresses and it seemed like you needed to have a very high-end NFTs already. It's had this gatekeeping aspect. So I want to hear your take on the state of that and, and what's going on there. Yeah, totally. It's interesting because this ties back in with how interested I am about on-chain data. And I, I come from like a, a marketing background. Like my career has been in marketing and a lot of marketing 
relies very heavily upon data and analytics and analyzing, you know, people's behaviors and their traits and things like that. And through all that career experience, I've often like been able to see all the ways in which data can be used to like not intentionally harm people, but often like a byproduct of the way data is used can can harm people. And the thing I have been thinking a lot about as I've gotten into the crypto space and seen all this on-chain data is like, how are we as, you know, builders and makers and people in the Web3 space, how are we going to be very mindful of that as we're building and dropping things to make sure that they don't harm people? And so, as you said, like this particular NFT drop that we're talking about, it's not really necessarily anything new. Like people have been gatekeeping and things like that before, and there's plenty of token gated communities and things like that. But the interesting thing about this in particular was one of the beautiful things about NFTs is it makes so many things much more accessible and open to people in the sense that there tends to be not as many gatekeepers as opposed to traditional finance in the sense like anyone can start a DAO, anyone can you know create a token, anyone can create their own blockchain if they wanted to. And so like at the heart of it, th- this like project and drop rubbed me the wrong way, mainly just because even people involved in that project were talking like one of the missions behind one of these platforms was to make art accessible to everyone. But here they were having this gated sort of thing where like there wasn't even like clear outlines as to who could actually be involved. It was like you can submit an application and maybe they'll let you buy an NFT. And I think we're going to see people within the community just naturally deciding, I don't want to be involved in this particular thing because it doesn't really align with the sort of the values of the system, which I think is great. Like there, there definitely seems to be like strong community consensus for what things are kind of in alignment with the, with the movement and which things are. And I don't know, I'm hopeful that maybe that can continue to self-regulate a lot of this stuff without things going poorly. So. Yeah, I hope so. It's interesting too, because I think there's the side of crypto that definitely talks about these challenges, wants to make sure that people have access. I think that drop seemed to get generally like feedback that was like, that was kind of shitty. On the flip side, it's interesting because it does feel like a lot of elements of crypto are still not super accessible, generally speaking, to a lot of people, whether it it's socioeconomic barriers yep. or you know, all of these different things. And so it definitely feels like we're, we're finding the balance between what, what accessibility means to a bunch of different people. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think this goes back to why I said earlier that like one of the reasons why I think we haven't seen as many new people coming into the space is because it has been so focused upon finance when obviously finance is a big component of blockchain and a lot of things in life, but there's so much more than just finance. And I think that's going to be one of the ways that we get a lot more people in is making and creating lots of things that are going to not require people to even really have to think about or use the financial aspect of it. I do think that there's probably going to be plenty of people who are using blockchain Web3 things that hardly ever spend a dime on any of it, which I think is fine and great. And I also think that blockchain and Ethereum can open up doors for people to find more financial security in ways that the traditional finance world has never been able to offer them. So. I'm also like very hopeful about what it can do. I I do think that it is, you know, the future, quote unquote, 
And I, I do really want to be a part of helping shape that so that hopefully we'll go a lot better than maybe like Web 2.0 wins. Yeah, this kind of brings me to a reply that I saw you had to one of the tweets about this NFT drop, which was this idea that if we don't let these things happen, or if we don't do anything about some of these challenges, then yeah, this is you might be headed in the wrong direction, but there's an opportunity here. What do you think can be done? Is it having those conversations? Like, how do you see that playing out? Yeah, I mean, I, I do think, I mean, definitely having conversations is great. But I do think I do think at some point, like it has to lead to action. And I think I think that comes in a lot of forms. I growing up, I was in a very like religious environment. And so I saw a lot of the ways that group think and ideology could create environments that make it hard to provide honest feedback or challenge things like challenging the status quo, I think, is a big part in making sure that the space doesn't start going in a bad direction. And I think, unfortunately, because money is such a big aspect of this space, like it is going to be a big temptation and problem of having to choose between money and, and choosing between the potentially the greater good. <laughs> so oh, 100%. Know, it's going to be tricky. <laughs> We're seeing that already now. I mean, it's it's interesting. The financialization of everything is going to be insane. But you know, we'll navigate through it, I guess, and, and figure yeah, it out as we I go. Mean, and on a hopeful note, like I do think, I, I, I think I said this at some point in one of my mirror posts, but like, I like that the blockchain provides a lot more transparency into financial things than the traditional sort of finance world does. And so I think that that can provide a lot of benefits and potentially change a lot of negative things just because of how transparent it can be. Yeah, a lot of aspects. I think definitely transparency helps with some of the pieces, which is funny because you can just stalk people to your point about on-chain data. Transparency has some interesting things. So actually, to wrap things up, before you came on, I watched your interview with Alicia on the Crypto Native podcast. And oh, yeah. Loved the idea. I'm totally stealing it, but I will fully <laughs> give you guys credit. Like basically stalking someone's wallet. Instead of doing that, though, I'm going to start asking people, what is your favorite thing? ERC20, 721, doesn't matter, just an <laughs> NFT, whatever, in your wallet? Oh, man, that's a really good question. Wow. I mean, I have a lot in my wallet now. I think it's definitely, it's either going to be the first NFT I ever minted. I still have it in my wallet. It's a photograph that I took in my backyard at like, I don't, I can't remember, like 2 a.m. in the morning of a possum on my fence. And it's just a really weird image. Like it's not something that I feel like most people would be like, why the hell did you mint that as an NFT? But that's why I mentioned it as an NFT. Like it, I really liked the photo. It was very weird and creepy, but also, <laughs> I don't know, oddly beautiful. And, and so I did, that was my first NFT. I minted it when gas was way too high and I spent way too much money on minting it because <laughs> I was new and didn't know what the heck I was doing. So I don't know, that holds a lot of like sentimental value just because it was a big milestone in my like crypto journey. The moon cats in my wallet play, I don't know, I, those are definitely one of my favorite things as well. I love it. That's really funny. I feel like I actually might've seen the possum at some <laughs> point. Have. I've, I've I, I was at some point. I was probably, no, I was probably stalking your wallet at some point (laughs) for some reason. It's so fun to do, especially when you can see people's like the things that they care about. It's just, and then the weird shit. Like I also have like a random (laughs) NFT that I made that was just like for fun. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can people find you? 
Ooh. I mean, like, probably the only place they can find me is Twitter. So I, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Jackson Dame. And then also, yeah, just check out Rainbow. That's where I work. I love the app and it's, it's helped get a lot of people, including me into the space. And yeah, so thanks again for having me. I really enjoyed chatting and yeah, I'm just really, really glad to have found you and other people like you in the space. Like it makes me feel a lot more like this is the place for me. Yes, I feel the exact same way. Thank you so much for coming on. If you like what you heard, please make sure to rate and subscribe to the podcast. I always forget to do this for podcasts I like, but it's actually super useful. Also, if anything resonated with you or if you want to continue the conversation, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Chaser Chapman. I absolutely love talking about these things. Thanks again for listening.